Hello and welcome to the Kick in the Creatives podcast, hosted by myself, Sandra Busby, and my fellow creative, Tara Roskell, offering you interviews, inspiration, motivation, and a gentle prod in the right direction. And for lots more information, challenges, and other useful tools to help you get creating, you can go to www.kickinthecreatives.com. And of course, this is where you can also find today's show notes. Enjoy the show. Stuart Hill is an ex-army officer who in 2009 suffered a traumatic brain injury during a second tour in Afghanistan. Along with perforated eardrums, a loss of his sense of smell and taste, Stuart's ability to process and organise information were also affected. Since then, Stuart has found a new purpose in art. Initially using it as a way to help him focus, he is now a professional award-winning artist and he's also an inspirational speaker. We were so delighted to have him on the show and it seems actually that Stuart was pretty excited to talk to us as well because as you will hear every now and then, he was jigging around a lot on his squeaky chair. So there is a little bit of noise interference. Um, But anyway, we couldn't wait to hear more and trust me, this is such an inspiring interview. So hi Stuart, would you mind telling us a little bit about your life before you became an artist? Okay, uh, I could start with where I was born, but I won't. Um, I mean, <laughs> I don't know, it's one of those questions. Um, I suppose the main thing is I was in the army. Uh, I was an army officer, I, I joined the army in 1994. Uh, my local infantry regiment, which was a Royal Regiment of Wales, I, I went to, I sort of grew up from the age of 12 in Wales, in Pembrokeshire. Um, and then joined as an officer into the Royal Regiment of Wales, the RRW, who was seen in the, whose antecedents were seen in the film Zulu, um, and had a sort of fairly, I suppose, standard career path uh, for an officer, for an infantry officer. Um, and so I had been in the army for 16 years, had done operational tours to Bosnia, to Northern Ireland, to Kosovo. And it was in 2009 when I was on my second operational tour in Afghanistan uh, that I got severely injured. Um, And then that, although I didn't know it at the time, was the end of my army career. But at that time, obviously, when you joined the army, you weren't at all, you had nothing to do with art. You hadn't really done any art, had you? Uh, I mean, I I had at school and um, I, I enjoyed it at school and I enjoyed... Um, I enjoyed acting at school, uh, but you know, this is at the sort of probably from the ages of, I don't know, um, you know, six to 10 or 11. And then when I went to secondary school, uh, you know, sort of taken over by the, the education system. And I don't mean that in a, in a bad way, but there's sort of, there's more of a, a direction given towards, um, the traditional subjects, uh, and sort of art slowly took a back burner. Um, my last time I did any art in school was uh, for O level art, and so even then, you know, that was my most that was my favourite subject. But I also enjoyed sort of maths and economics um, and history a lot. But they didn't have in my school they didn't have O level art. Sorry, A level art as a subject. Um, it, sorry, no, I I, I lie. I, they did. It was the history of art, A level history, and I wasn't interested in the history of art. I just wanted to paint and draw. 
Um, and so I didn't um, do that as an A-level, and that was the last time. So that was in, what, 1986 was the last time I had um, painted or did any drawing. Because once, you know, once I joined the Army or once I went to Poly initially and then joined the Army, uh, I hadn't even considered doing art again. It never crossed my mind. A bit of acting did. Uh, I was in a couple of um, sort of, I suppose, um, army, pa well, I don't mean army pantos, pantomimes, but I was in a pantomime when I was at uh, the Army Staff College in, what was that, 2003? Yeah, I got into quite a bit of trouble because it was a two-year course in Camberley. It was a sort of um, for army, AV, army, Navy, and RAF. Uh, and for this was for uh, officers with, in theory, high potential. And there's a two-year course. And um, we played rugby there, and there's a bunch of sort of 30-year-olds, 30 31, 32-year-olds, all um, enthusiastic and, and fit. Uh, and I miraculously won the, um, or got awarded the best uh, rugby player of the year, or whatever it was, um, oh, wow. of the, in the first year. And then the second year, I decided actually I wanted to be in the Staff College pantomime. Um, but that, that conflicted with the rugby so I missed, I didn't, so I got so much abuse from all the rugby players. Like, oh, I can't believe you're doing pantomime. Why do you want to do pantomime and not play rugby? <laughs> um, so I think even though I didn't do any specific painting or drawing, uh, I think I've always perhaps had that artistic side inside me. Um, mm, mm. Or always, you know, I, it's not anathema to me. It's, um, it's not something I'm against. And I think I've always, you know, I've always opened myself up to it if there was an opportunity. But to be honest, in the military, there aren't there aren't that many occasions that um, that you would come across a not necessarily an opportunity, um, but a reason to do it outside of yeah. your own reason. So what I was going to ask you then is, um, was you know army life in your blood? Was it something that your maybe your father or grandfather had been in? You know, what made you join the army? Uh, I mean, my dad was in the oh, army. Um, he, yeah, so right. I grew up as an army brat or pads brat or whatever. Uh, my dad right. went in as a soldier and um, went through the ranks and left after 20-odd years as a what they call a late-entry officer. Um, so he did really well, went through a, sort of every position um, as a soldier. But I, I enjoyed the idea of the army, but I didn't want to join the army, and partly maybe... I don't know, maybe because my dad was in the army and I, it would have been too easy for me in theory to just follow and be in the army as well. I wanted to see if there was other things that I could do, I think. I mean, to be honest, also, I think as a 16, 17, 18-year-old, I just I lacked direction. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Um, and I wasn't, I don't know, it's, a, it's I wasn't deterred. I didn't have something to follow. I didn't have a goal. And so I just went along with the flow, and I think that's the nature of my life as well, actually. So, um, so I did A levels. So I, the A levels I did were the ones that I enjoyed. No, it wasn't for a reason to um, to have a profession in anything. Is um, so I took uh, maths, economics, and history. Um, I dropped history halfway through because I wasn't enjoying it. So I've got, I've got two A levels, um, and with those grades, I was sort of. Um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, and the careers officer said, "Oh, you've well with the, you know mass and mass and economics, you've got to go into business. Um, you've got to go to polytechnic, or, or you know." Um, and I went along with it. I didn't have a view to go into business. I don't think 
Um, and I went to Bristol Poly and I studied business there and dropped out after a year because I just wasn't enjoying it. And then spent the next couple of years, it was two to three years, just, I suppose, a bit of not quite bumming around, but I was... I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I worked at Tesco's for a while, you know, took whatever jobs were available, did voluntary work, was unemployed for a period of time. And it was during those years of, I suppose, ambiguity and not knowing what I wanted to do that I really started. I, you know, it, was, it was at that age, I'm 19, 20, and I'm thinking, come on, Stu, get a grip. Come on, decide what you want to do. And then I think that opened my mind up to then exploring about, actually, let's have a look at the Army. Is, did I want to join the Army? Um, and my decision was to, I would only join the army if I was able to get in as an officer. I didn't want to go in as a soldier because um, I enjoyed responsibility. I enjoyed leading, I enjoy, you know, the sort of school groups and tasks that you get at school. I enjoyed being in charge, not in charge is the wrong word, but, you know, I enjoyed that responsibility of people. Uh, and so... I had a focus for the first time when I was determined to actually get into the army as an officer. And so I went to, did the regular commissions board, which was fairly hard. Um, and then went to Sandhurst, which was harder, which was the years of training. Uh, and then from that moment, from the moment I went to Sandhurst, although it was hard, I just loved it. Uh, and as soon as I got to be with soldiers, I never wanted to leave at any stage. And I just loved being in that environment is a robust, hard environment, uh, but being with soldiers and guiding them and improving their own ability and improving their education, because a lot of the soldiers that we recruit, a lot of the areas recruit from, particularly in the infantry, um, they're, they're fairly poor areas in terms of money, in terms of education, in terms of functional families. Um, deprived areas, a lot of them, and um, and you can see the growth in these soldiers, and it's wonderful. And and I would still be in the army now if I hadn't been blown up. Um, I had no intention to ever leave. So your injury that must have completely thrown things. As well as you've got this injury, you also got discharged from the army. So it's a completely massive life change. So how long after that did you discover your creative side, and what made you turn to art, you know, in particular over everything else? Anything to do with the brain is incredibly hard to understand and to detect. So the the I, so my brain injury was easy to observe because I I was found with a radio antenna embedded in the back of my skull, and I was thrown you know many meters away and stuff, um, and I could have died. I very nearly died several times, but I didn't. Um, but the and so that was obvious that I had suffered a traumatic brain injury. What no one can really tell you is the impact it will have on your brain. And this is why it's so difficult for people with dementia, with Alzheimer's, with autism, with all those brain-related uh, difficulties. Um, you can only work out what the problems are when you encounter them. It's not as clear as it is for someone with a physical injury of whether it's internal or external you know straight away almost the doctors can say okay well due to that arm injury you are going to be restricted in doing this task this task etc etc with a brain injury it's a case of work it out what can you do what can't you do and um and and it's very easy and it was for me very easy to discount my problems because i'd just been blown up and surely anyone would be tired and 
confused and not able to think and not make decisions. Um, and so I believed that I would get much better. Sorry, I believed I would get better. I believed I was fine. You know, let me go out and do some runs and do some press ups. Give me a bit of space, space at home, relax, and then my brain would recover and I would be, get better and then I could um, carry on being in the arm. But it didn't turn out that way because uh, I continued to have problems with decision making, with planning, with organizing things, with apathy, with motivation, with, uh, I suppose, decision making. Decision making is just was so hard and still is. But I've improved a lot. Um, my ability to process information slowed down considerably. So I can still take in information, but it has to be filtered and it has to be done at my pace. Uh, which is not a pace that it used to be able to um, uh, to be done at. Well, I was just going to add to that as well, what you were saying before about, you know, if somebody breaks their arm, they can't use their arm, and that's quite an easy thing to be able to see. But I think it's worse, isn't it, when it's a brain injury because, you know, the people around you can't see it. It's like um, a lot of people who suffer from depression. No, people don't understand it because they can't, they haven't got a plaster on their head, you know, they haven't got anything physical there that tells them there's something wrong. Yeah. So I think that must make it far uh, more difficult for the person who has had that injury because nobody necessarily understands it because there isn't this, um, you know, yeah. this thing that shows them what, what it is. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yes, and um, uh, Headley Court, which, sorry, not Headley Court, um, Headway, which is a brain trust, a brain charity, it says there that they're the walking wounded, and then there's wounded mm. walking. Um, so it refers to those with brain injuries as wounded walking, um, as in they're wounded, mm. but they're walking fine. So everyone assumes that they're fine, mm. and this is, this is, I mean, this is a problem. Uh, and it's, but it's, I can understand why, I mean, people, the way we were, you know, the way we are, it's, people refer to visual. Um, stimuli or whatever it is you know so we react to things that we can see and react to things that we can acknowledge quite easily um, and a lot of times we don't necessarily want to make the effort into to finding out what could be a problem internally um, but I mine is a I want to specify mine is a brain injury I do not have PTSD I do not have a mental illness or whatever it is whatever word um, this is a physical injury to my brain in the same way that dementia or alzheimer's or adhd or uh, or autism it's a physical difference in the brain um, but the, the problem with that is you can't have a prosthetic to help you with that it's mm. one of those things um but you know there are ways you can deal with it um but um but talking, you, know, you mentioned about depression. So, but the the impact it had on my mind, the impact it had on my life in terms of that was the end of my army career. Although it took a long time for me to realise that, uh, it took probably about eighteen months um, to work that out. Um, that led to mental difficulties. That led to depression. That led to uh, just psychologically very very damaging. Combined then with a brain injury, you know, I wasn't—it wasn't a particularly good period in my time in my life. Um, but the the psychological part is um, that has improved immensely, uh, and that has all come about through primarily through art. So, how long was it until you started? You sort of found art and started doing that. And why was it art rather than something else? Um, okay, so two thousand nine. I'm in July two thousand nine. I'm blown up. Uh, I. 
um, I go to hospital. I go to Headley Court, which is a rehabilitation centre for military personnel. I go home on sick leave for a bit. I go back to Headley Court. And it was in 2010 that I was back in Headley Court. And uh, for a lot of some people there can spend, certainly with those with a lot of complex trauma, can spend some time there. So there are other activities that they put on. It's not just a sort of physical and cognitive rehabilitation. So you're introduced to other activities. Uh, They had carpentry there, which I wasn't interested in. They had golf, uh, which I was interested in. I started taking up golf uh, and um, other things like basketball or whatever it was, but I wasn't necessarily interested in those. Uh, I I was discharged from Headley Court in 2000, or October 2010, and coincidentally at the same time, there was an offer to go on a holiday to Mallorca with... Uh, with my part, oh, sorry, with my wife, so uh, myself and three other injured uh, veterans um, or injured, sorry, injured service personnel and their partners. So the eight of us went across to Mallorca with this couple called Sheila and da- Sheila and David. Uh, they had a, a villa out in Mallorca, and David was an artist, and he used to uh, host, not host, I suppose, um, do painting holidays, and so he was a tutor out there. Uh, and they would do this in the summer, and they just wanted to do something for injured veterans. So they they got in touch with the with the army, and it filtered down to us eventually. And um, it said, "Okay, do you want to go on a free holiday?" And effectively, we not effectively. Essentially, we if we could get out to Mallorca, they would then host everything, which they did. So they provided the transport, food, uh, accommodation at the villa, just hosted us really, really well. Got it. An expat community involved. Uh, and we were in really, really well looked after. Um, it was a couple of days into it, and David, I, we could see he had an open barn next to the swim pool, which is his sort of painting studio. And he would be in there each day. And he never said to us, look, you know, do you want to do some painting while you're here? It wasn't. It was a case of, look, drink beer, swim, and just enjoy life. Uh, but we, all of us were intrigued by his standard and his ability to paint and draw, and a lot of pastel drawings. Um, but also he really enjoyed military history, particularly about the Napoleonic Wars. Uh, and so one day he invited us in. He said, look, um, would you be happy if I give you a, a pastel, do a pastel drawing, do a demonstration, and I'll talk you through uh, talk you through what I'm going to be drawing. And so we all sat there and he, he had this canvas there and he started to put a pastel color onto the canvas and it's like what's that what's that oh is that a horse yeah oh it could be a horse and oh there's a soldier sitting on the horse and it's a track and there's a copse of trees and there's a there's a cannon and there's explosions and and he's describing this scene this napoleonic battle as well and we're just mesmerized and we're just you know for the <laughs> it was fantastic it only took him about 40 minutes to do this brilliant pastel drawing of this battle in um uh, in France and afterwards I because I was just mesmerized and I was at a really low point and I was just wanting something to improve my mind and some way to escape the sort of demons that I had brought into my own life and so I asked David if I could borrow a pencil and a sheet of paper or a pad of paper pad, you know notepad or whatever uh, to do a bit of drawing and but, you know, by all means. So I sat outside and I sat on the sun lounger with the swimming pool in front of me, the villa, the, the sort of brick wall villa, dilapidated gate to the left, the villa to my right, the hibiscus 
flowers on the walls. Uh, the mountains in the distance and they're blue. Why are they blue? I wasn't sure. They look purple. You know, the sky, a bright sky, these barren fields dry because of the summer heat. Uh, and I'm trying to draw this swimming pool and the perspective is all wrong and I'd forgotten about perspective and all these lines. And But I, it was three hours later that my wife, Melissa, knocked on my sort of knocked on my no she tapped on my shoulder and said Stu you're going to be late for dinner we need to shower or you need to shower and change and I had been trying to draw this scene in front of me for three hours it wasn't particularly good but it was fantastic for my mind because at no point did I think about how bad my life was uh, and wow. at that moment I knew I had some way to escape from my demon. Oh, that's exactly what I've um, spoken about before, that that's the one thing I find, certainly in my life, that shuts my brain down almost. It's just I'm so focused on the painting process that you can't think about anything else at all. You can't. If you want to draw, I don't know, that cup in front of you or whatever it is and make it look like a cup um, or paint it, you've, you've got to focus on trying to make it look like a cup. Um not mm. not think about other things because you can't it's almost like meditation isn't it in a way well it is i mean it's i yeah it's mindfulness in action it's um it's just beautiful and and so it's through that experience that uh, that i then asked if i could go back as a student with david um in the, the november uh, because he's very frightfully posh. Uh, David and his wife, Sheila, they were, I mean, they're adorable couple, but they're German aristocracy and, uh, well, very, very British, but um, they're both count and countess or something. Uh, and uh, I know his clients, he would only select, you know, those of a similar ilk. But um, he said, of course, of course, you can come. So I went along and um, I thought, oh, I'm going to paint. What shall I paint? Has to be in watercolours. Got to paint in watercolours. Learn to paint in watercolours. Uh, and so went out and did a weeks of him. And the, the best day was me and a, a couple of old boys. <laughs> they introduced me to the, the art of painting with a couple of brandies. <laughs> did you loosen up? Uh, we did loosen up and it was great. It didn't do much drawing, but um, we had a good morning <laughs> on the brandy. <laughs> and, it's, uh, and, yeah, and watercolours, what a big mistake that was. You don't uh, start yeah. to paint in watercolours. No, <laughs> I tried that as well. And it's so hard, isn't it? It is. And so I got back and um, in fact, it was David towards the end of it. He's, uh, I love doing it. And I said, the watercolors are really hard. He said, okay, try Why don't you try acrylic or something? So I got back and I tried acrylic, but I would only paint when I felt there was a need to, when mm. I needed to improve my mood or I had an idea. So it's very, you know, any paintings I did were very few and far between. So at that point, it wasn't something you were, you know, aiming to become professional at it was just something you did as a almost like a therapy yeah it was self-therapy because mm. this is now 2011 uh, and I'm waiting to so I was discharged in March 2012 so I'm still you know there's still some issues that I got with my brain still trying to work out so I'm still a I'm a weekly outpatient at a, a new a brain trust in Leeds so there's still my rehabilitation which is ongoing um, and that is sort of the focus and there's sort of I've created problems at home just because of my uh, my intolerance sometimes my anger my just depression my just it was just 
horrible. Mm. So I still had those as a as a focus, but when I really needed to, then I would go out and maybe do a drawing of a, I don't know, a flower or, or just anything that caught my eye. Mm. So can you remember the first thing you painted that you were really proud of and how it made you, made you feel? I probably uh, a painting my first ever portrait which was in acrylic and it was of a soldier of mine Gavin Elliott who was killed in 2009 he was killed after uh, I was medi- uh, sorry so after I had to leave the tour the um so I left in Ju- July <laughs> I left I had to leave in July 2009 but they my company was still out there until October and Gavin Elliott private soldier was killed in the September um, and I went to his funeral got to know his family and then after a, a couple of years or a year or so I and I was a bit better at painting got on well with Jane uh, his mum and wanted to capture Gavin's memory somehow and so did a portrait of him uh, which I gave to his mum um, and it was a proud moment. I look back at the painting and actually it was quite a poor painting. But at the time, I mean, it did look like him, but yeah. I just, I don't know, it, it's a very, he looks, <laughs> Gavin is a very, he, in the painting he looked very, very pale because I didn't know how to achieve a skin colour. <laughs> so, mm, mm. um, but it was, it wasn't the painting, it's just the whole idea of it, of doing the painting, of seeing the, joy and benefit it gave to Jane uh, and just the joy it gave all of us and just so much satisfaction and I remember taking it to Jane and with great nervousness or a lot of nervousness and <laughs> worried about how she'd react and I showed it to her and she said oh that's what she you know crying and um, said I'm so she said afterwards I'm so glad it looks like him and then she went upstairs and came down with a pencil drawing of Gavin, which didn't look anything like him, and said, oh, someone gave me this, and <laughs> I don't have the heart to show, I don't want to show, I only bring it out when she comes round. Um, but then I, then I did, um, then I thought, oh, wow, you know, and um, his sister, Gavin's sister, um, I've forgotten her name, uh, Becky, that's it. Becky's 18th birthday was a couple of months after. Uh, the um, when I gave the painting, so I decided, okay, well, um, I'm going to try an oil painting, my first ever oil painting, uh, which was another portrait of Gavin, and it was better. Uh, and uh, I gave that to Becky, and she loved it as well. And that's when I started the painting oils, and uh, so haven't touched anything else since. When you when you did these portraits, did they know that you were actually doing it? So I thought that'd be quite daunting if they knew if you knew you'd got to present something to them. Uh, they did because I said to you know I built up a relationship with Jane and said to her, look, you know this is what I want. I'd love to do this for you, um, and I needed I needed photographs as a reference. Uh, I wanted her to um, to identify a, f- a photograph that um, showed what he was about in her mind. And we discussed whether it would be in a civilian context or a military, and she wanted military. Uh, and, it, you know, it's very hard for them, but it's the fact that she, both of us were doing it out of, I suppose, love. Certainly I, you know, I was, and just out of the right reasons, and she she understood that. Um, and so it was good for all of us. And so that's what I found with a lot of my initial paintings earlier on were of 
scenes of Afghanistan or of somehow capturing... There were five soldiers under my command who were killed in 2009. Uh, two, um, two on the day that I got injured. Uh, one the following day that I, I when I had, I had gone, and then two others. In fact, sorry, one other Gavin, and then a, a soldier killed himself um, a year later. Um, and so that was it. Was I spent a lot of time trying to work out how to capture their lives and just show. I don't know. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't therapy for. It was just important, really important to me, because I had left them out in Afghanistan. I hadn't wanted to leave them, but I was forced to leave them, and I never really had a chance to say goodbye to them. Although I have, you know, sort of formally, but I. It wasn't supposed to be like that, um, and I wanted to. I wanted to show how important they were for me, but I wanted somehow that they could be seen by generations. Um, because that's a dis- sorry, the difference between a sort of a, a painting and a, a photograph is um, is the amount of the amount of time and energy and positivity and love, you know, that that one needs to put into a painting to capture a portrait of someone. It's not a quick, you know, some quick flashes and then do some editing and work out the best photograph. You know, I am trying to capture this person as best as I can Hmm. within my ability, but also within, you know, trying to make that individual as beautiful as possible. Um, And that is just such an enjoyable part of that process. You mentioned, obviously, the first portrait you did and now you look back and you think, oh, it wasn't very good and the next one you yeah. did was much better. A so, bit better, yeah. yeah. So, so tell us how you went, because obviously you're, I know that you did sort of um, paint with David. Um, it was David, wasn't it? It was and, David. Um, but, but largely, I presume, you're sort of self-taught as well. You must have gone, you know, I, my question really is, how did you go about developing those techniques that you'd learned? Did you ever go to any other classes or did you do it yeah, yourself? Yeah, I mean, I, I did some classes, did some night classes and did some sort of, whether you know, all sort of fairly local. I used a, an art tutor once a week for a few months. Um, she used to teach A-level art. Uh, and sort of got to know some basics, but what I found with all of it, there was a there was there was no continuity in teaching. Um, particularly, we're going to these sort of random art classes. Um, some didn't even do any teaching; they just sort of criticised your work, but didn't tell you how to improve it. Um, and this was, I think, now two thousand and yeah, this is now two thousand fourteen. So I hadn't really. It was all very random. There's no direction. I'd, I'd considered going to um, going to college or uni to study to do a degree in art or something, um, but it just wasn't suitable or compatible with my family arrangements and also with my crit- fatigue uh, and my ability to concentrate, and it just wasn't suitable. Plus, I didn't want to actually be working with a bunch of 18-year-olds again. And I, you know, <laughs> just just over 40 and I think oh no I couldn't handle being with those youngsters um well you'd already done that in the army hadn't you presumably yeah I know and uh yeah having experienced sort of war and stuff you just you may not um 
you don't necessarily have the tolerance for some people's yeah no I can understand that views um anyway uh, so I was in a play then in 2014 uh, so I was actually in a play called the two worlds of Charlie F which we did in 2012 it was a one-off uh, in the theatre Royal Haymarket in London in the West End um, and it was about injured service personnel and then it was picked up by a commercial production team and then we we uh, toured some of us toured with it around English theatres uh, and I were down at Richmond Theatre in London for a week and I had organised arranged to meet uh, an artist there called Arabella Dorman um, who sort of through someone that I knew through sort of three connections so she came along to it and then I asked her advice I said look I want to be an artist. I had paintings on, on display at the um, each of the productions, some of my paintings. I said, but I, there's no continuity of training, and you know, and I'm, I said I'm rubbish at teaching myself at home because I don't have the I don't know where to start, and I'm too confused about you know. And I said, and she said, okay, well, I recommend uh, my friends um, who, what was they at the time? It was called the Lavender Hill Art Studios. Um, and it's now known as the London Fine Art Studios. Scott and, um, ugh, I've forgotten the other one's name, but anyway. Uh, so I went there and I did a week's course in portraiture, a week's course in figurative art, a week, sorry, figurative painting, landscape and still life. Uh, so four one-week courses over a period of a few months. And it was my first introduction to the sort of atelier method and classical training. So they were, they were all taught in Florence and it was that sort of style. Uh, and first exposure to, I suppose, real painting and the continuity of teaching. And I loved it. And I could see what was possible. And I knew I had a long way to go. But that was that, you know, so that was the best exposure, I suppose, to real training I had. Um, through another charity called Style for Soldiers uh, in 2000. And what are we, 18, 2016, um, I, they provided or arranged some private tuition with an artist called Tim Wright. Um, and Tim Wright was an artist who taught the actor Timothy Spall how to paint for the film Mr. Turner. And so I'd see Tim once, maybe twice a month for a year. Uh, and so he had a different teaching technique to, um, to London Fine Art Studios. But a very, uh, I suppose, similar in standard um, and the basics of art, the fundamentals of art, sort of shape and shadow and line and, and mass um, and those sort of things, which I hadn't had exposure to when I was doing all these sort of short courses. It was a case of, can you draw that person? Can you draw that flower? No. Um, <laughs> and so it's through that, that uh, that's the that's teaching I've had. So your brain injury, has it yeah. caused you any challenges for when you were trying to learn about art? You know, could you retain the information that people were teaching you and things like that? Uh, no, I couldn't retain it. And that's one of the reasons why I didn't go to um, either part-time or full-time study. Uh, I had a very limited uh, energy levels initially. And so um, it's my ability to process information. So... Is the speed of it. So I, if I was listening in on a talk or a demonstration of the, of the work, um, I wasn't really taking it in um, or I'd have to have it explained to me again. And it's almost, I suppose that part of my brain is like a, I don't know, a 15-year-old or whatever. Um, 
my okay so my part of the brain is the right frontal lobe which is damaged the what they call the executive function parts of the brain right which is about planning and organizing problem solving decision making prioritizing tasks multitasking and it's of course a, you know, problem solving is a huge part of painting isn't it well it is and um all i mean all of that is um I mean, we, we need those skills for everything and anything we do, whether mm. it's just going to make a cup of tea or just getting out of bed or running a government. Mm. All of those skills are required at different levels. Uh, and it's because of my difficulties in that that I couldn't work, couldn't hold down sort of conventional employment. And, um, uh, and, that's, um, and I found the painting... Um, the process of when I was actually painting, I found that bit enjoyable and not taxing. But actually, to get it all set up, to get to study, to to work out what I wanted to do or work out techniques, that I found it very problematic, as anyone would anyway. But it's um, it's magnified with my uh, with my sort of difficulties and impairments. Clearly, you have got past that because you are a very, very talented painter. So, thank so you. Obviously... I'm not sure I agree with that. Oh <laughs> well, you absolutely are. Well, then, okay. You absolutely well, then, are. that's. I mean, that's. I've written it down here. That's one of the challenges. Is um, so my brain is a challenge. Continuity of teaching mm. it was a challenge, uh, but it's uh, it's a confidence thing. It's yeah. um, and uh, whether I'll ever get over that. Um, uh, I don't think uh, you will because I don't think I don't think I've met an artist yet who gets past that. And and actually. I'm not sure it's a good thing if you do because, you know, as soon as you become really confident in what you do, I think you stop improving because you're not striving to be better. Um, but and it's I'm... also, yeah, I know, but it's also, sorry, it's um, no, it's, it's not just the, con- it's, my confidence comes afterwards. Uh, mm. Sorry, my confidence is coming during the process of painting something. Uh, yeah. And I look at it and I think, Jesus, rubbish. Oh, oh. no, what is that? That doesn't look like anything. Um and at the moment, because I'm not technically able to and experienced enough, I don't know how to change a mistake or amend or improve something necessarily. Mm. So it's, it's through sort of graft and through ma- making mistakes that I learn how to improve something. So if I, ident- I can identify a problem now, before I couldn't even identify the problems, but let's mm. say I can identify a problem. I can't necessarily straight away fix it. Because um, I'm yeah. not quite sure or experienced enough to be able to do that. Mm. So the challenge is, uh, I mean, the, the brain challenge will always be there. But also, actually, it's my ability to work, to plan, to organize has improved because of painting, yes. because of doing these activities. Because actually, to paint anything, I need to organize myself. I need to buy or make a canvas. I need to um, buy books. I need to go to the shop. I need to you know, purchase things. I need to get paint in front of me. I need to work out what I want to use and how I'm going to use it, do it. And so all of that has been um, rehabilitation for me, but in an environment that I'm happy to be in. It's funny um, you should say this because we have um, obviously we have a group of people, quite a large group of people um, on a Facebook group who are getting into their creative work uh, later yeah. on in their life and um, a few of or a couple of them at least have had um, either a stroke or um, dementia and one in particular with dementia she said um, she was talking about the you know what are the rules and I, we sort of said well there are no rules 
Um, you just got to have fun with it and, and create more than you normally would. And I think her answer was, no, no, I'm grateful for the rules. I need those rules. They help me with my dementia. So yeah. it's interesting, isn't it? And I do agree that painting and, and all kind of creative work is, is actually very good for the brain. Um, and it, you know, obviously some people struggle more than others, but it is certainly possible for everybody to develop their techniques and develop their knowledge over time but I know that you're creative in other ways as well because you've mentioned that you do theatre work and um, I've heard um, one of your poems actually on one of your videos which I thought was an amazing yeah. poem um, and you sing is that right and <laughs> <laughs> you I, want, I tried to sing with Gareth Malone um, <laughs> on TV at the Invictors Games uh, so I learned to sing the notes that were required for the few songs that we did. Um, but the, I mean, with this is is through doing the art actually in 2010 that realizing that it could help my mood. So then I was, I suppose I was attracted to the art, artistic sides, not because I it was never of a policy or a decision of mine to go okay, let's focus on art. Um, so, for example, when, I'm, when I was waiting to be discharged, so still informally in the military, uh, and so from charities like Help for Heroes or within the, the MOD, the system, you would get offers, benevolent offers from, from either Joe Public or corporations or events saying, you know, would you or any of these injured people like to do X, Y, and Z with us? Um, and there's only a couple that I responded to. Uh, one was this play called The Two Worlds of Charlie F., uh, and then the other one was to submit some poetry for a book, for an anthology of war poetry. Uh, and so I started to do some poems for that. Um, and thankfully, well, not thankfully, I was surprised when I got two accepted into that. Um, singing, when there was an opportunity to sing with, um, with Gareth Malone, I thought, okay, give that a bit of a go. Dance, I've even done some contemporary dance. Uh, but they're the the things that attracted to me. Not the every week you get a tra you know you get email saying, "Would you like to go and do some adventure training, or go and walk the North Pole, or learn basketball, or football, or or race around Goodwood, or something like that?" Um, I, those things haven't bothered me, but the artistic related stuff have, uh, and all of it. I mean, art is just all of the arts is just mm. it's just so good and powerful for the yeah. brain, and it just all it. Everything about it, the creative side, it just creates positive energy. It does. Um, and, I, and I was wondering if you'd sort of explored those things really as a result of finding your love for painting, whether they, they've sort of come after that. They all or, did, yeah. They, yeah, they did. And, and I want to go back now to you were talking about obviously the um, portraits that you've painted yeah. of soldiers who lost their life in, lives in combat. And in your bio, you, you've said that this type of portrait sort of embodies someone for generations as you were sort yes. of speaking about earlier by that do you feel that in some way you're helping to keep their memory alive in your paintings uh yes hmm. the the simpler i mean that's why you know, that is why i wanted to do it it's so oh. uh, i mean i've only i've done three portraits of uh, of individuals that i knew was killed two of gavin elliott uh, and one of a guy called rupert bowers um, who was killed in 2012. Uh, and that was, at the time, that was my most ambitious portrait to date. It was life-size and it was in oils. And um, I was a 
a colleague of Rupert's on two tours to Afghan in 2007 and nine, and then he was out there on those two, and then 2012 he's out again and got killed, and left behind uh, Victoria, a widow of 22, and uh, Hugo, uh, a boy of four weeks old. Um, and I wanted it was specifically to have Rupert's memory alive for as long as a painting can exist. So I approached the officer's mess of Two Mercian, who we both worked with at the time, uh, and, um, and said, I'd like to do this painting. And they were happy for it if it was good enough. No, I said, I would only give it to you if it's good enough. But then yeah. I then met Victoria and got to know Victoria. She was reluctant at first to meet me, this strange person who wanted to um, do a portrait of Rupert. But then we got, we got on well and we, go, you know, we grew, built a relationship again and she could see what I was trying to do. And it is that. It's that it, Rupert's memory um, is now alive in the officer's mess of Two Mercian, which is currently called Two Mercian, it may change, for what could be centuries. You know, there are paintings in officer's messes which have been there for three, four hundred years or whatever, or for however long the painting can last. Mm. Uh, and so it is fairly common one of the other reasons in messes officers messes and sergeants messes and corporals fairly common to do portraits of living people um, of those who have reached a particular rank or whatever it is but there are very few that um, that do portraits that i've encountered who do portraits of people who've been killed in combat or killed by serving and so I, that's another reason i wanted to change that so with rupert's portrait i know that whoever goes into the mess it's quite a striking painting um, that they would be inquisitive about it and wonder. And so, you know, one individual looking up in a 50 years or even now today, going into the mess of Two Mercy and, and looking at Rupert's painting and asking the question, who is he? And maybe having explained to them means that Rupert's memory will be kept alive for as long as that painting can be, um, can be alive. Hmm. So do you think one of the reasons that you paint the soldiers is to maintain that connection with the military that you had? No, not no. not with the military. I mean, I've got a, I've got an innate connection with the military. I don't have a tangible real. I don't really have a tangible connection apart from meeting up randomly for sort of uh, reunions or something like that. Um, I don't necessarily want to be connected with the military. It's not about connect. It's about connecting with people that I've worked with. Mm, the uh, people that understand the military. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, going to going to war is for anyone, um, civilian, military, is hard work. Um, yeah. I don't and, think anybody can possibly understand, apart from someone who's actually been in it. Whether whether it's war or whether it's um, you know the violence in I don't know some really bad LA street or whatever it is, mm. but actually if you're being shot at uh, mm. and you're you know you. It's a life or death (laughs) situation, and it's hard work. The temperatures in Afghanistan in the summer are 52 degrees centigrade. That's um, one of the hottest places in the world. I mean, it's hotter than the summer in Hawaii, but we're not there in our flip-flops and T-shirts. We're wearing, carrying up to 55 kilograms of equipment, um, which is eight and a half stone. Oh, gosh. Um, And so it's really debilitating. my connection with the military is from my memories and yeah. from my experiences and the knowledge, the satisfaction that I did my best and I didn't let anyone down. You just, it's a bond that um, 
you know, to go to war with someone, you just create a bond that mm. you may not see those individuals again for 20, 30 years, but as soon as you meet up again, you know that you're going to be the, uh, the best of friends or whatever it is for that brief time that you're drinking together or whatever. Now, your, your painting that you did of scenes from the world of Charlie F., yeah. um, I found that particularly dark and powerful. Okay. So, so have you moved away from painting those more disturbing images of your military life, or do you think that you'll continue to do that? Uh, so, I mean, to me, they're not disturbing images. Um, they're images that uh, I was trying to show the reality of, um, yeah. of aspect of war. Mm, mm. Uh, but I, I understand what you're saying. Uh, but the do I think I'll continue? Um, it's not one of those, am I going to continue or not? It's a case of, do I want to do a painting which captures... Uh, a moment or a memory mm. or something that inspires me. So to begin with, it was a case of specifically painting military-related, Afghan-related experiences. Um, the, the scenes from The Two Worlds of Charlie F. was because of The Two Worlds of Charlie F. and the play that I was in, and I wanted to do it in relation to that. Um, I paint what I am inspired to paint, yeah. Um, and so if that means that it's, it goes back to the military, then it will do. If it's not, then it's not. Um, the, I mean, those, the two worlds of Charlie F, geez, I, they, I, they were done quite a few years ago when I really didn't know what I was doing. And um, uh, But I love that painting. I know, and so thank you, but um, <laughs> I don't want to, maybe I'm going to give the game away, but the, um, I mean, so I, I borrowed, I used real photographs, yeah. which I then put into a, um, put onto a canvas and then did some paint around yeah, it yeah um but then, you know at the time I, I really... but that was very early on wasn't it when you were learning I know it was yeah it was and um <laughs> it was just what did I get someone hodgepodge no it's not that it's some sort of some sort of glue um transparent glue you could put on so I stuck it on there and I painted over it <laughs> and it kept on coming on and, and so but now that I know there's a, there's a much better way and technique of doing it yeah um uh, but uh, and again, but that I, comes with confidence, doesn't it? And experience, all of these things. With experience, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was going to ask: Do you find it easier to paint people that you have a connection with somehow, like like you said before, for like a military, or you know, would you be happy to paint a complete stranger? Uh, well, I've painted some strangers. Um, I've painted probably more strangers than not. It's um, uh, I had to, there was an art exhibition, um, a joint art exhibition in November of last year. Art in the Aftermath, which was in London, and it was organised by this charity Style for Soldiers. Uh, and if you Google styleforsoldiers.com, you'll see what they're about. Uh, and so I wanted to to focus on portraiture. There's me and three other injured veterans. Um, and so I spent last year of trying to learn how to be a portrait artist or get more experience. And I thought, okay, how can I show that I can do a painting of someone how can I show I can do a likeness of someone? Well, maybe then do a like do portraits of people that are well recognised. So, because of various charity things I've been involved in and other stuff, I I approached a few. I approached Piers Morgan, um, the guy on Good Morning Britain, Nick Knowles, yeah. uh, TV personality, Ray Winston, an actor, um, and I asked to do their portraits, which um, they agreed to. So I went down and I met up with them. Um, and it's sort of it's a combination, not quite sitting for me, but a few hours with each of them. Not Piers Morgan. I had twenty minutes with him because um, he was too busy. But I, you know, so they were all strangers in a way, 
Um, and then I've done some other portraits, um, commissioned sort of portraits, but they don't be, they don't stay a stranger for long, because I want to know what they're about, and it's they've all you know quite a few of them have said it's quite a challenge to um, to sit, not necessarily. It's, it, it can, it's a very personal thing. So because I'm going to be asking, you know, how I'm, I'm asking some basic questions of these people saying, you know, how do you want to be seen for the rest of your life or for centuries? You know, this if if I do this painting and you're happy for it, some random person will be looking at it in 200 years time. How do you want that person to view you? Um, what is important to you? What do you want in the painting? What sort of personality do you want to show how do you want to be perceived by people and when you sort of start to explore that and ask those questions uh, the individual who's being painted has to really if they're that way inclined has to really open themselves up and so actually you you build up a connection very quickly uh, and the individual doesn't become a stranger doesn't stay a stranger for very long mm, mm. Um, and uh, and then the greatest challenge is uh, is actually to paint them and to get them to get a painting that they're then happy with. There are some vain people out there. <laughs> so, how did Piers Morgan want to be perceived? Can you remember? Uh, actually, I I mean I I I've known him for a few years, not well at all. But his brother Jeremy is in the army, and we were colleagues together. And uh, he's still in the army, Jeremy. But we're, we're friends, and so have met Piers through him in the past. Um, but Piers had a very, very, very busy diary. So I went through his PA once he had agreed to meet, um, and uh, she came back and said, "Right, in the next six months, there are two twenty-minute slots." Available. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so I went down to the Good Morning Britain studio a couple of years ago and um, sat in the green room, and he came off air at half past eight, straight into me. Uh, we had, in fact, 30 minutes together, um, spent the first 20 minutes gassing and talking about the good old days or whatever and talking about Jeremy, uh, and then realized that I only had about 10 minutes to go before oh. we had to leave. Um, I hadn't really, I had a camera, a new camera. I didn't really know how to do lighting or anything like that, so I took some very quick photographs. Perce- perce- how he wanted to be perceived, um, it wasn't about... How you want to be perceived is, I suppose, it was a for him. It's a case of getting a natural look. Um, how he would stand naturally. What was his sort of the color of the tie that he wanted, and it was red for him. Um, and some of it was through my own decisions of actually getting him to face front, the face to front. You know, because he can be challenging to people, and I wanted that um, to be shown. Mm. Uh, and as I was doing it, I thought, okay, let's stick um, some colours of the art because he's a big fan of Arsenal football club. So I used some some of the red and the yellow and the, the I think it's green, red and yellow certainly, and white in the background um, of the painting for a bit of Arsenal flavour. Um, I what else did I do? I used the colours of Marmite in the in the background and on the, in the clothing. Um, he loves Marmite then. Uh, well, love it or hate it. That's a bit like him, isn't it? Oh, I see. You love it or hate it. Oh, no, now it's not I get it. <laughs> I didn't get that either. No, you either loving or yeah, hate it. You're absolutely right. So, so tell me, did he like it? Was he happy when he? Yeah, very, him? very happy. I mean, I got to um, got to 
surprise him with it on Good Morning Britain oh, um, in fantastic. November. Oh. Um, and so that was, you know, it had eight minutes on the on the TV with him. And um, I'm going to see if uh, I can look that up on YouTube. It's on my website. That. Oh, is it? Oh, oh I'm going to have a look. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. So, um, and so that was that was fun. But uh, <laughs> so I had the paintings of um, in the exhibition. Uh, there was a, a Duke of Bedford as well, who's a supporter of South Soldiers, but had um, Rupert, sorry, had um, Ray Winston, Nick Knowles, and uh, and Piers Morgan. Um, all of them were sort of complimented, but almost at, half, at least half the people I spoke to, they looked at Piers and they said, why? Why did you do him? <laughs> and I would explain, I'd say, well, actually, you know, because of the connection. Mm. And I would say, actually, he's a good bloke. He's all right. And they would then go, oh, I'm so glad you told me that. Oh, I feel better about him now. So, um, so since becoming a professional artist, um, I know that you've raised an awful lot of money for various charities. I think it's something like £90,000, isn't it? Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's not necessarily since becoming a professional artist. It's, um, it's just about getting involved in things yeah. um, which could raise money. I mean, I mean, I I haven't purposely done it um, out there. I haven't searched for lots of charity events. I, if there was a particular charity that um, that I had a connection with, either because they've supported me in trying to become an artist, or because I have a fondness for them, then uh, then I would ask to be involved. Um, so initially, it was doing talks on behalf of a charity at sort of their fundraising events. Um, so I would forego my speaker's fee or whatever it was, or they would raise money on behalf of the charity. Um, then as I started to paint, it was a case of I wanted to build up my own exposure to people or, or you know, just to show people what I was trying to do. So then offered at various charity events to auction off either a painting I had already done and auctioned it off at a charity fundraising night or... Uh, offer to do a portrait of an individual who would bid for it um, and so raised money raised uh, uh, you know about I suppose about 20,000 through that um, of various people sort of bidding for portraits and visit bidding for other paintings uh, walking with the wounded was a charity that uh, helped me with my artistic training because you did that um, didn't you yeah, so I did a walk of Britain, thousand mile walk around Britain, uh, and we raised, um, you know, in the buckets, the six of us that walk, we, I think people put in about a hundred thousand pounds in the buckets. Wow. Um, the art in the aftermath, this exhibition that we had in London uh, in November, and the staff of soldiers um, through people coming in through um, the uh, individuals who knew the, about the charity, um, forty thousand pound was donated uh, over a couple of weeks. Wow. So. It's apart from the walking with the wounded. It's it's never really me me going right. I'm going to do a charity event and go out and do a big walk or or uh, climb Everest and raise money. It's me saying to various charities, "This is what I can do. This is what I'm offering. Is there a way that this can actually help or support your charity?" Um, and so, ultimately, I mean, what I, what do I want to do? I want to get to a position where. I have the financial freedom to be able to offer to do a painting of every service personnel that was killed in Afghanistan to their families or to their next of kin. Mm. 
um, and that's 452 people. Um, I don't think that will happen. Um, but it's a, it's something. It's, I just want to uh, help other people. I just, but uh, you know, I can't necessarily. Um, I've still got to earn a living. Yeah. Um, but if I can get to a situation where I can uh, that I can do things, and I would love to to be able to do that. How long does it take you to do a portrait? Uh, it's it's one of those things. It's I suppose eighty percent of a portrait I can do in three days, right? Um, and then the twenty percent of which is the key. It's a Pareto's principle, 80 and 20. So I can do 80% of a portrait. I can get a, it looks like a person in three days or maybe four days or whatever it is. But then to make it look like the person can take inordinate amount of time. Well, it, yeah. it can just um, be the matter of one highlight in the wrong place, oh, I see. isn't I it? That's so that, I found that. Yeah, I found that once because um, I've done portraits before and, and I, you know, there was one particular person and I just could not put my finger on what was wrong and I was changing this and changing that and that, that made it look worse so I was changing it back and it turned out that this one highlight which was in the wrong place, it, it changed the form of the the skull beneath almost and it's that's the thing about portraiture isn't it so it's, it's so much observing the tiniest thing can make so much difference i know and just you know just a millimeter and changing the mouth mm. by a millimeter or two millimeters yeah can affect how the person is smiling or frowning or growling um and can totally distort it um and so i mean that's part of the confidence thing is is getting to a stage where I can say to myself, okay, I've got a likeness. It's not a photographic likeness, but it, it you know, he's he or she is recognizable and therefore I should be content with that. Yeah. Um, well, after all, we're painters, not photographers. I know, and I keep looking at these paintings um, that I do and I think it doesn't look like them. It's not exactly like them. And it's about knowing when to stop. And it's about um, capturing... And that's really hard. It's about capturing their character more than it is, I think, a likeness anyway. I, I do think that with portraiture, you can... It is. Be... I mean, I there are individual... You know, this photographic realism painting mm. um, where a person <laughs> looks more like a... Fo- you know, looks yeah. really photographic. Um, uh, it's a fantastic... They're fantastic paintings, but it's, it's not something I ever sort of want to do. Uh, I don't think I'd have the patience to sit down there for, I assume, would take hours and hours and mm. days and weeks to do. Well, years, uh, sometimes not sometimes months to a year. Yeah, even. exactly. Yeah. Um, but they seem to be on vogue in sort of various competitions, and yeah. um, I suppose it's a challenge, isn't it? I mean, the BP Portrait Award seems to only ever really, uh, nom- not nominate, but accept photographic the majority are always photographic mm. and i think that's a challenge for artists is and certainly is a challenge has been a, a thoughtful challenge for me over time saying actually is that the way i should be should i be doing it because they're the ones they're the type of paintings that win competitions um, and then i say yeah. to myself actually no because it, it doesn't give me the freedom of expression and freedom of mind and i want the painting to flow and i want it to be mindful um, because once it becomes for me, it could be, you know, that photographic realism could be very mindful to other people, uh, and I'm sure it is, And but for me it wouldn't be. It would be just too exact and too finite and too prescriptive. It's funny um, because what, years ago when I sort of first started, you know, it, it was the sort of loose um, paintings were so in trend at the time, and, and I was 
constantly being told, loosen up, loosen up, you need to loosen up. Yeah. And and it wasn't until I stepped back and thought, actually, I mean, I don't get me wrong, I'm not a realism painter, but um, I'm not a loose painter either. I'm kind of somewhere yeah. in between. But um, I feel... It is, it's a, it is, it's about finding what, what comes natural style. Yeah, what comes naturally to you. Because I think if I'd have carried on doing what they told me I should be doing or what I thought would sell at the time, then to me it wouldn't be an original painting by me. It would be a painting I had done. Do you know what I mean? Whereas now, at uh, least yeah. when I paint something, and I'm sure it's the same for you, you can stand back and say, well, that has come from me, my my own heart, not what I think I should be doing. And I think that's what makes someone yes. an artist more than... But, and there, there is, you know, there is that commercial challenge is actually what do, do I paint what I want to paint and what comes yeah. naturally or do I paint what I know has a much better chance of selling? But don't you find, um, it's, don't you find that your paintings that you do that come from the heart end up to be better paintings than the ones that don't, because that's what I find. Uh, I'm not sure, actually. An example, sorry, at the the exhibition is um, there's another guy, Doug Adams, who's a he's a really good painter, and he's a good friend, and he's learning, and he's still you know he's still got some way to go in terms of technique and stuff, mm. but he's getting exponentially better and better. Um, and he did small for the exhibition. He did small landscapes and small portraits of dogs, about twelve in total. And they all sold out, and he got commissions for thirteen other dog paintings. Um, so, you know that is an the dogs. They just wanted everyone wanted a painting of their pet, um, and then they would come in and look at my portraits. And like, why do I want that? I don't want a painting of myself or Piers Morgan. Um, <laughs> but I wasn't doing it to sell. I was doing it to show that I could do it. Do, uh, yeah. um, but it, I, you know, the one painting I did have, um, which was a. It was a seascape painting, which wasn't the, the only painting that wasn't a... Um, sorry, no, I had two which weren't portraits, but uh, there was one which um, which sold on the first night, and that was the one that most people said, oh, any chance I could... Oh, no, it sold. Uh, and so I've got a few commissions to do seascape-type paintings. Yeah. Uh, but portrait... Uh, I've, I'm not sure why I do portraiture. I do it... No, sorry. I do it because I love the engagement of the individual, and I love creating something and trying to really get to the individual... And capture them and I love the end bit when I think yes I've got you um, but it's it's that try you know that 20% that you mentioned earlier about you know just one one slight change can affect the whole composition mm-hmm. or whatever yeah that's a bit I don't really enjoy one would hope I would hope that with great more and more practice and experience that actually that bit becomes easier and that, that you know that's the way it would be but ultimately, I mean, it, you know, what is my goal? Um, one of them is, I mean, it's not, it's not a smart goal. We can't define it necessarily. Um, but it's about being respected by other portrait artists so another, or another artist. Another artist could look at my work, a professional artist, and say, he's, a, he's, he's good at his job. I was going to say, you've won multiple awards since you began painting. Did you ever imagine that when you first started that you would come so far and, you know, become so good at what you do? Uh, <laughs> this is who I am. I don't think I've come that far and I don't think I'm that good at it. <laughs> but, but don't you find, um, though, when you look back or when you started to where you... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, when I look back at um, Gavin Elliott and that first ever portrait... Uh, when I get, I'm going to, um, I'm going to surprise um, Jane with a, with an up to date 
portrait at some point in the next year. Yeah, because I, I would imagine um, when you were back there, if you thought back then that you would be painting the kind of paintings you're doing now, you would be thinking, wow, you know. Uh, yes, you're right, yeah. and I would. Um, and I think it's sort of it's a difficulty with every artist is is because we know you can we can continue to get better. Um, you know, it's not it's it's infinite. Yeah. Um, and um, and so uh, no, I'll say expectation levels will rise. So actually, I look at painting. I can always look at painting and think, oh, it could be better. It could be better. My knowledge of what a painting should and shouldn't look like is much better. So I can identify where I've you know what could be improved, but not necessarily know how to improve it. Um, so and it's in one's nature, and the human nature is to always look at something negatively rather than positively. Uh, and I think I'm just that sort of. We are always very self-critical, I think, aren't we? Artists, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I was pleased with each. I, don't take, don't get me wrong. You know, at the time when I won those awards or whatever those prizes, I've been absolutely delighted yeah. uh, and surprised. But just wow, this this is fantastic. Mm. I think I'm self-deprecating, but I always feel as if I Ooh, should I have won that? Maybe they're doing it out of sympathy or something. But. Um, I think everybody's a bit like that, aren't they? I know. Yeah. So, what's been your what's been your highlight of your journey then since you left the um, well, since you were obviously discharged from the military? Highlight has there been a highlight? Um, aspects I've enjoyed is uh, singing at the, I think it's the twenty sixteen or seventeen BBC Sports Personality of the Year Award show. But that was wow! Singing in front of eighteen thousand people, but not that it was singing in front of <laughs> Prince William and wow. Chris Hoy and all these other people. Um, that was a good one. Uh, having actually, Grayson Perry, the artist, did a tapestry portrait of me and two other injured veterans. Um, that was a great period when it was hanging in the um, National Portrait Gallery mm. for for two weeks. Um, that was fantastic. I love going back to it and standing there looking at myself yeah um in this tapestry and then if some random person would be looking at it as well i'd say to them that's me uh, do you know yeah i would I'd say do you know who that is and i say no i say it's me it's me <laughs> <laughs> and jump around and um but then i mean though the individuals all found it really good actually because then i would explain to them about the painting or yeah. about the tapestry and you know it brought it to life um that um the Victoria, the widow of Rupert, when I showed her the painting of Rupert um, and she looked at it and she cried and said, I just want to hug him. Um, that's the best compliment I'll ever receive for anything I, I do. Yeah. Um, any painting. So those sort of moments. Um, the highlight. Uh, I'll tell you what I love doing at the moment is playing the piano. I'm le- I've been learning to play the piano for the last sort of four months, uh, and I love it. I just, if there's one thing I could do for the rest of my life, it would be to s- continue to learn to play the piano. Oh, really? Yeah. I've tried it that. It's so hard. I give it up, yeah. Uh, well, I'm not one of these people I can't rub my head and pat my stomach at the same time, and I see piano playing as like that. You've got to do one thing with one hand and another with another, and I just... I can't fathom that it at is. all. <laughs> it is, but this is, you know, the arts is actually I'm there and I'm going, although I'm going plonk, 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 yeah. it sounds like um, 
It sounds like Rupert the Red-Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> Rupert. You know, it may be a very slow version of it, yeah, yeah. but I'm the one that's doing that. No one else is. Yeah. I'm creating that. Mm. Um, and I, that's what I love about the arts is it's me. There's no one else doing this apart from me, and I stand and fall by what I'm doing. Um, but what I do know with, I mean, with anything, and this is the difficulty with anything, you, you need to continue to practice and practice. And if you can do that, then you will improve no matter what it is. And so people who are out there who say, oh, I'm a rubbish artist or I can never be an artist, I'm rubbish at drawing. No, you have not put the time and effort in to learn how to do it. Um, and motivation and ability are completely different. That is so, yeah. such good advice, what you've just said right there, because this is what I think we try and tell people all the time. There's Everybody starts somewhere. Nobody is born, you know, able to paint or draw, you know, you have right. to start somewhere. And it's just a matter of the time and focus you put into it. That's all it is, isn't it? And I think that it's, that's where, that's what separates the artist from the non-artist is those who love it and those who don't love it enough. Oh, well, that's it. Those who, I mean, so people will come to it. There will be some people who are naturally better at it than others, yeah. um, like everything. Mm. Um, but it, it is down to those who are determined to keep on doing it. Yeah. Um, keep on doing it through failures, keep on doing it through uh, through the angst and through um, those times where you think this is rubbish, I'm not improving. And that, you know, that applies to anything in life, but um, certainly it applies to art. Um, but boy, if you keep persevering, mm. you can produce some great stuff. Yeah. And you clearly love your life now. You're having a wonderful time and that's really evident. And I suppose back in 2009, there would have been a time when you would never have believed that you now in 2019 now um, would be feeling the way you do and so as, as so happy and content as you are. You know, when you, you're looking at other people that are going through similar traumas or, or maybe not similar traumas, but a trauma of, you know, whatever type, that yeah. life can change and it's just a matter of what you do. It's... It's hard. Mm. It's hard work. Uh, but all of it, all of it comes down to the mind and one's mindset and one's perception of oneself and the world you are living in and your role within that. Um, it, you know, because having been at the depths of emotional despair or whatever it is, and I've and I've changed, and I've got better, and that's my circumstances haven't changed necessarily. The role, I, the, the environment I'm in, hasn't changed. Is but it's my perception of my role in my life has changed. My perception of my sense of worth has changed, and and it is all down to the mindset. Everything we do is down to our mind and who we want to be. We could be the worst person in the world or the best person in the world. Um, I love what I'm doing, and it's that I've now got to find a way to get paid for it, uh, which is a challenge <laughs> always, for all artists. That's all the hard, always the hard thing, isn't it? it? Is. Yeah. Um, but the quality of our lives is determined by the quality of our thinking. So true. So true. Where can people find out a bit more about you? Uh, my out-to-date, not updated uh, website. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, it's, it's been um, been improved at the moment. Um, it's going to come online soon. But sorry, my website, my current website, Stuart Hill, S T E W A R T, H I W L dot co dot uk. 
Um, I'm on Twitter at Stu underscore art underscore hill. Instagram, and this is all lowercase, Stu underscore art underscore hill. Um, and YouTube, uh, I'm not sure what it's called. Just if you just type in Stuart Hill into Google, it's, it does come up. Your videos come up. Yeah. We'll um, link it, won't we, in the show notes. Yeah. I mean, this is the because uh, of my rubbish planning and organizing you know i could be like van gogh i could have hundreds of fantastic paintings but uh i'm just useless at trying to work out how to sell or how to manage my websites and yeah, whatever it yeah. is um it's hard work it is it is so uh, one thing i do want to ask you um is where would be the best place for people to donate to help wounded soldiers um rebuild their lives because i know that helped you so much there are many charities out there, mm. um, many military charities. There are the larger ones, such as the uh, Royal British Legion, Help for Heroes, Combat Stress, SAFA, um, the, you know, the Army Benevolent Fund, the RF Benevolent Fund, Navy. Um, and then there are smaller ones which are more specific, such as the On Course Foundation, which is about golf, Style for Soldiers, which is about um, preparing for dressing up someone ready for an interview um it depends if you if you are happy to donate money which you're not bothered really um where it you know where it goes to a particular area to a particular need then donate to one of the larger charities um and they you know they will decide where it will will help people um if you want to if you've got a particular allegiance or affinity with a hobby or with a particular um, employment field, then you could donate to one of the, the smaller charities. Um, but the ones that are sort of most dear to me, I suppose, are uh, Stars for Soldiers, Walking with the Wounded, um, the Army Benevolent Fund. They are the three charities that, over the period of my rehabilitation recovery, recovery have, um, have offered and have helped me. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also one, uh, probably a good way of, is um, is if you go online onto the Veterans Foundation, um, which is on Facebook, Veterans Foundation, uh, is to purchase um, or to sign up for their lottery, which is £10 a, a month uh, lottery ticket. And the money that they raise through that, they then distribute out to in grants to military charities. Um, at the moment, they're proving to be very successful and they are donating um, up to £80,000 a month wow. to military charities who apply for grants. Wow, that's um, amazing. That's amazing. Uh, if you look on there, actually, if you look on the Veterans Foundation, you'll see another little video of me um, doing some sort of theatrical work. Um, another goal I've got, I think, towards the end of this year or maybe next year is to, um, to do a one-person play about my experiences and my life. Um, and seeing if I can bring in the aspects of poetry and painting and and acting into a performance. Oh, fantastic! Uh, well, if you do do that at some point, let us know. We'd love to. Um, we'd love to hear about it, and perhaps you'll come on again and talk to us about your what you get up to in the next couple of years. Uh, no, I'd love to, and um, uh, thank you. And uh, I hope I hope you continue to get more people listening into your podcast. Uh, you may not after this. But, um, <laughs> it's, great. It's, great. It's, it's growing and growing yeah. all the time. And I'm sure that people will be so um, interested and fascinated by your story. I know I've certainly found you um, 
incredibly a valuable guest. So thank you so, so much for joining us today. Thank we you. really appreciate no it. No problems. Thank you very much. Take care then. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you did, perhaps you'd like to share it and leave a review for us on iTunes. Back soon.